You're listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast, a product of the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association. To learn more, visit our website at or.nhsbca.org. Welcome to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. I'm Derek Dumin, OBCA Vice President and Boys Basketball Coach at West Alden High School. Today, I'm joined by Mako Hamilton, men's basketball coach at George Fox University. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Derek. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, and thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, coach, I want to start by giving you a chance to uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your, your coaching background, how you got into the coaching profession, and, and how you ended up as the, the men's basketball coach at George Fox University. Yeah, so very uh, – yeah, my, my background in coaching, so I've been um, – so I'm, I'm currently the coach at George Fox University. Obviously, I've been doing that for eight years now. Prior to George Fox, I spent uh, 12 years um, – as a high school coach, uh, six as a head coach and then six as an assistant. And that, um, you know, followed my journey, uh, my playing career uh, collegiately. Um, so as soon as I got done playing college uh, in that transition year from, you know, graduating to trying to figure out what life is going to bring, um, I, I did not have aspirations to coach. Uh, it was kind of just by a random, you know, chance that I get a phone call from a a local high school coach who had remembered me as a high school player in the area and, you know, said they had an opening on their staff and there's a potential position in the high school um, as a classified position. So at this point I'm looking just to get jump start on something um, and really just fell in love with it. You know, my, my desires growing up as I was going through education and, you know, I was in, was in the sports, but my, my dream was to work you know, in the front office of a professional sports organization. Um, And so this was a a unique opportunity. And really, I was just trying to build my resume up, being around the game. And and, uh, I just fell in love with it. And, you know, as I say, you know, that just kind of created my path and and the story was created. Yeah, very cool. Uh, Coach, we all just finished a really strange year in terms of, uh, well, everything, right, with COVID-19 and and how it affected uh, basketball, especially in coaching. Uh, When you reflect on this year, um, what are some of the takeaways that you have from this this past season? Yeah, it was obviously a very trying year for, for all of us. You know, the one thing that I appreciated, I mean, there was probably several things, but one of the things that I really did appreciate about the pandemic is it how it, you know, it forced us to slow down. Um, I know for me personally, that was a big, big thing. And so during that time, I'm a very introspective person uh, in general, but really during during the pandemic in and of itself, because everything was shut down in terms of what I would normally be doing in my day-to-day, um, you know, operations as, as the men's basketball coach at George Fox, it really allowed me to spend more time in reflection and personal development, um, it just really, like, put a pause on all the other stuff that goes on. And, and I felt that that was very valuable for me to kind of take a, a bird's-eye view of myself, how I was running our program, how I was interacting with my, my players, uh, the things that I was learning, emphasizing, et cetera. Um, and so it was, to me, it was maybe the – it was almost like a cleansing. It was one of the most pure experiences that I've had um, in my time as a coach. And and so from that, 
it really gave me uh, just some things to emphasize as I move forward in into you know obviously my professional journey as a coach. You know, one my intentionality with my players. You know, uh, I'm a very relational coach. That's a big part of my philosophy. But I do think there are times where those relationships are so centered around basketball that we kind of forget about the the human side of it. So I was able to have a lot of conversations with my guys through the pandemic, and basketball was never brought up. And that was something that, you know, I definitely am going to continue um, as we get back to normalcy. Uh, you know, just being able to, to communicate and talk to other people. And just, like I said before, just really taking a, a bird's-eye view of our program and what I was doing, uh, it really just helped me to, to kind of realign myself with what my goals are um, philosophically. And it was almost like a good reset button. So, so from a professional perspective, um, you know, there were a lot of takeaways, uh, just being able to slow down um, that I can now apply as we move, move back to normal. Yeah, for sure. How did you adapt, you know, to uh, maybe some of the on-court stuff, right? You probably didn't have as much time. There were all these restrictions. I think there was a while where you guys didn't even think you were going to play. Is there anything that, like, creative things that you came up with this year to help your kids on the floor that you might use as you, you move forward? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, not not in particular because, as you had mentioned, we were so handcuffed with what we could do on the floor. Even when we were able to get back to school and, you know, have, you know our guys were on campus, but we were very limited in what we could do. And so, you know, we were doing a lot of, you know, a lot of just skill work when we were able to, to do stuff. Um, we were in such a, a non-contact phase for so long. And, and that was good. And I do think the positive for that, we were able to almost go back to the basics. And for a lot of our guys, even at the college level, there's so many fundamentals that they, they lack, um, you know, from the basics. And so I think it, it was good for them to be able to recognize, like, geez, I didn't realize how important footwork is. Um, shot prep, you know, things like that that we take for granted. So I think it helped those guys to understand why we emphasize those things. Um, but from a coaching perspective, you know, I think that the, maybe the best part about not being on the floor for me was, and again, this kind of goes back to the whole slowing down process, I was able to just, again, recalibrate why we do what we do. I think so often as coaches, we're, you know, we're kind of in this groove, hey, this is what we do, this is how we play, this is what we believe. And maybe we don't always take the time to step back and say why. And I think the why is really important because it forces me to reevaluate how I communicate that information to our players. And so I, I was almost like I was retraining myself. I was doing an old clinic on myself. Hey, why are we playing this way? Why do we value this aspect of what we do? And so it was really good, and I felt like it helped me to maybe cl more clearly communicate to our guys when we were implementing schemes and philosophies why we're doing it. So. So that was probably even more important than anything that we, you know, had to adapt uh, on the floor. For sure. Uh, coach, you mentioned making the jump uh, from a high school coach uh, at Union High School in, in Vancouver, and, and you jumped to be the head coach at George Fox. Uh, can you kind of describe that process, you know, maybe for other coaches that might be interested in doing the same? What, what was that process like, and, and how did you kind of adapt to going from the high school game to the college level? Yeah, for sure. And, that, and it probably ties into your first question. I didn't really hit on it because it kind of bleeds into this one. But so I was the head coach at Union High School for six years, and we built a, a pretty successful program. Um, and it's it's inter interesting, Derek, because I get asked this quite a bit. You know, how how did you get to that to that point? How do you go from high school to college? And 
Um, you know, for me, it was it was a very unique situation. Uh, you know, I think, as you know, and, and coaches who are out there listening, you know, networking is a big part of our journey, how we get from one place to the next. I mean, that's just, you know, that's part of corporate America. And so that's a big part of it. A lot of coaches kind of go through a grind, whether it's, you know, they go from being a high school coach and they work as an assistant somewhere. Maybe they volunteer and they just kind of work their way through. My situation was very unique. I was very blessed that I didn't have to go through, you know, maybe the typical route to become a college coach. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, networking is a big part of it. And I was just very fortunate to have a relationship that was already established at George Fox within that athletic department. That was kind of an end for me to get my name to, to the administration and into the process. Um, it wasn't something, it wasn't a job that I was seeking. Uh, it, it just kind of, I hate to say it, but fell into my lap because of, mm-hmm. of you know, the, the, the source of the people that I knew um, at the university. And then from there, once I, you know, got the information, learned about it, realized that I would have an opportunity to kind of go through the process, then I attacked it like I would anything else with, with you know, all my competitive juice and fight and, and put myself in a position to be able to, to get it, but yeah, it was it was a unique process. I I don't know if there's a, I get asked this question probably more than any, like you know how do you go from that you know one from high school to college, and I don't really have a great answer. You know, I, like I said, I think my situation it was unique, but the one thing that I could share, if any high school coaches are wanting to to make that jump, I just think it's really really important that um, they get their name out. You know, whether it's um, you know volunteering. Um, if, you know, helping out, you know, workouts, just being very, you know, proactive and persistent in communication, um, you know, whatever you can do to get your name out um, to college coaches is important because, you know, coaches, especially at the small college level, are always looking for help, you know, whether it's looking at kids, if it's helping around, you know, in whatever capacity. So I think it's that, that process of really just, you know, getting your name out. And, and I think that's the most important thing that a, a coach can do to make that leap. What are some of the the bigger, I think there's some obvious ones, like recruiting being the big one in terms of differences between high school and, and college coaching. What what are some other differences maybe besides recruiting um, between the two levels? Yeah, that's another great question. Um, and you nailed it. I mean, recruiting obviously is the big one. You know, at the end of the day, let me back up before I dive into it. I, I do want to share and say it's really, really important that coaches know that basketball is basketball. Um, whether you're coaching high school, college, you know, a JV team, whatever, Division One, Division Three, you know, basketball is basketball. And and one of the things for me, having done both now, and, and as I'm older and more established as a coach, I realize it, it doesn't matter where you're at. You have an opportunity to be around a game that if you're coaching it, you love. Um, scheming is very similar, and you have an opportunity to impact kids, and, and young people need to be impacted no matter where they're at. And so – I want to say that I just I I get asked a lot what's what's better you know and I don't know if one is better than the other. In terms of the differences, getting back to your original question, I mean, you know that recruiting is the big obvious one. I think the second one that kind of goes is kind of subtly unnoticed, and and you know this, Derek, as a high school coach, we when we're coaching high school, and I vividly remember this, you know, you're getting young people who are, you know, especially you talked about earlier, you know, like your freshman kids coming in, you know, they're 14 years old. I mean, they're green. They're, you know, whatever you tell them, that's, you know, they, they take that as word, you know. And so you get to mold them in a lot of ways. When you get them in college, you know, we get them at 18, 19 years old. If they're a transfer kid, they're, you know, older than that. And they have some established ways and purposes and beliefs and philosophies. And so the challenge for me, 
that I figured out early on was like, man, like I can't just tell this college kid to do this and they're going to do it like the high school kids did. You know, I would, I'll tell a college kid to do this and they're looking at you sideways like, well, why do you want me to, why do I have to do this? And what's the reason behind it? What's important is like you have to be able to clearly articulate the importance of why you want them to do something. We're just like with high school kids, at least when I was coaching, you know, they would just do it. Whether they liked it or not, they they would do it. So that's been a big difference is you're established, you know, you're dealing with kind of established thought processes. Um, other than that, you know, a lot of similarities, especially as a small college coach, all the administrative stuff that we have to do um, as college coaches, really I was prepared for that being a high school coach, you know, just the ins and outs of running a program. I think, you know, people that aren't in it don't realize how much, coaching uh you know how much administrative work is involved in coaching and there's a small amount that is just like x's and o's and on the floor so i think those would be the two biggest differences but but like i said before i mean basketball is basketball and and it's very unique you know and 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 it's 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 awesome you know to to be able to coach wherever you're at for sure uh you know so as high school coaches uh sometimes we have kids that come in maybe that have aspirations to be college basketball players or or we can tell right that they have the talent level maybe to to play at the next level. What are some things in your opinion that, that high school coaches can do to to better prepare kids to play at the next level? Yeah, no, I think that's great. I mean first of all, I would say to any high school coach continue to be authentic and running your program as you do it i think the you know the 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 best programs are the ones that have coaches who are authentic or intentional who really take their job seriously and and in doing so they're naturally preparing their kids for what it's going to be like when they get to college when when the stakes are continue to be high and the amount of time you know is 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 very intense um, number two, I do believe that it's important to be honest. Um, you know, I, I had to deal with this as a high school coach as well. And I think one of the things that's lacking in, you know, maybe in the lives of a lot of young uh, athletes is just the honesty part. Young athletes have a skewed view of themselves and their expectations or their goals are very lofty and sometimes not realistic. And one of the things that I'm noticing as a, as a college coach as we deal with this in recruiting a lot is there's just not enough people that are speaking truth into the lives of these young people in terms of where they're at and what they do well and the things that they need to improve upon in order to be able to get to the next level and then to find success. So my challenge to high school coaches is just to be, you know, be true and, and, and honest with the kid. You know, not every kid is division one, not every kid, um, you know, understands time management well, not every kid is self-disciplined. And I, I think it's important that kids know that. So when they get to college, they're prepared to be able to handle whatever criticisms or challenges that they will get when they get to that point. Um, and then the last thing I would say there, because I just think it's important for young people to have really good habits, uh, you know, especially, you know, when they get to college, you know, I mean, they're on their own. They're much more independent than they've ever been. Uh, the structure to their days are probably a little bit more um, inconsistent than what they were in high school. And so I think just having good habits is important. Um, habits and work ethic and time management and self-discipline and taking care of their bodies, et cetera. And so I think anything that high school coaches can do to help facilitate and foster that is, is, would be tremendous in helping their, their, you know, their student athlete be, be able to get a jump start and be successful when they get to college. 
Yeah, along, along those lines, you know, Coach, the recruiting process can be, you know, quite complicated or, or foreign to, to kids and families. Uh, how, what are some things that maybe we as coaches can do specifically to help our athletes with the recruiting process? Yeah, I, I think one just being present and and very um, you know persistent in helping helping kids out. Again, you know I, I know sometimes kids can be unrealistic. You know, especially if you have a college type player. You know, and maybe they send, "Hey, coach, can you reach out to Duke and North Carolina and Oregon for me?" It's like, oh, you might not be good enough. I think it's okay to tell them, like, no, I don't know if that's your level, but here's where I think you're at. And let me let me you know facilitate that stuff. I think um, another thing is is and I know there's a it's a, it's a you know, a very unique relationship between high school coaches and club coaches, but but the reality of it is, is at least in where we're at now, I mean, high school kids need to play club ball in order to get exposure. And so I think helping uh, kids and their families navigate that process, you know, helping them get set up in good programs that are playing in the right events and that are doing right by their kids, I think that's really, really important. Um I do think it's important when 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 college coaches do reach out and you know whatever they're needing, you know, provide it. If, if they need game film, get it to them as soon as possible. I know for us, we see a lot of highlight film, uh, but game film is is like it's the thing. You know, that's what we need. And, and there's mm-hmm. we have a lot of coaches who are awesome. They get us to us quick. Sometimes not, and so I think that's important. And then I just think too, and and you know, Derek, I went through this as well when I had kids being recruited when I was a high school coach. But I just feel like it's really, really important to be honest with the college coaches. Um, I know we want to advocate for our kids, and we we don't want to throw them under the bus. But I think it's also important that we give our kids the best opportunity to be successful when they get to college. And a big part of that is to give as much truthful and honest information to the college coach so that they know how to work with those kids. I think too often, you know, coaches, whether it's high school or, or club coaches, maybe don't tell the entire truth. And when a, a kid gets to college and now that truth is being, you know, exposed or, or you know, found out by the, the college coach, now it's like you're putting the ball in the college coach's hands. Sometimes college coaches don't have the patience for that, and those kids don't get a chance to make it. I know for me, I love to know pros and cons. You know, I want to know good and bad, and I'm not going to make a judgment on on any of the kids until they're in our programs and we can work with them. But it's also good to help us have the tools and the resources and, you know, the wherewithal to be able to handle those kids and, and help them work through those challenges that they might have. Uh, curious, uh, last question, Coach, before we, we head to a quick break. A uh, lot of stuff coming down from the NCAA, uh, no loss of eligibility after this last year name, image, and likeness, transfer portal, all sorts of stuff going on. I'm just curious, how has that affected you guys at, at, at George Fox, and how are you kind of adapting to all these new changes? Yeah, no, there's a lot going on. Um, I would tell you right now it hasn't hit us yet, but, you know, who knows. Um, in terms of, like, the COVID stuff, I mean, we, we had three seniors um, who elected not to come back. They're going to kind of move on, and I think that was the right thing. They they have put in a lot of hours and played a lot of games, and I think they're all ready to move on. Um, but it's going to be interesting with the young kids that we had in our program this past year and their their ability to, to get that year back. We'll see. Um, so I, it's kind of to be determined with that. Same with the NIL ruling. You know, I think it's going to affect – um, all sports at all levels. I think initially when people were, were hearing about kids receiving compensation for their name, image, and likeness, you were thinking of the big names like a Zion Williamson or, 
you know, a Johnny Manziel or whomever. And so I know it's going to affect kids at all levels in all sports because of social media and the impact that has. And so I, I would assume that's going to be something we'll deal with, but again, to be determined. Um, yeah. And then the transfer stuff is just, it's, it's crazy. Derek It's crazy. And it's, <laughs> I, it has a bigger effect on division one, but, but again, it does have a trickle down effect. And I, I'll tell you one of the benefits we found in this COVID year um, this is our largest recruiting class we've brought in, the class that will show up this fall. And, and at least on paper, you know, obviously they got to they got to play, but on paper it's the best that we've had. And a big part of it is because of the, one, we were in a pandemic when things were really crazy. But, two, just with this whole transfer movement, you know, high school kids, it's, it's hit or miss. And we were able to get some kids that maybe, you know, a few years ago we wouldn't have been able to get because of that. So that has probably been the biggest impact for us of those three things you mentioned right now. But I know – all three are going to continue to be impactful for for a lot of college programs. Yeah. No doubt. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll return with more from Coach Hamilton right after this on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Coaches, as you prepare for the upcoming season, don't forget to renew your OBCA membership. Membership includes access to exclusive resources from high school coaches across the country, as well as access to Lucio Sports Technology, the same technology used by NBA franchises. Membership starts at just $15. Don't delay. Renew your OBCA membership today. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Derek Dumin here with George Fox University men's basketball coach Mako Hamilton. Uh, Coach, uh, I want to talk about um, a little bit the process uh, at Union. So you kind of took over at Union. Um, and were you the first coach at Union? Do I have that correct? Yeah, you did. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, okay. So you were the first ever coach at Union High School, started a program from literally the ground up. Um, what, was that, what was that process like, and, and maybe what advice do you have for coaches that are doing the same. We have two brand new high schools coming in uh, this year in the state of Oregon, or even for coaches that are uh, at a new school and starting their own program there for the first time. Yeah, yeah, and I've got to experience both. So, you know, starting from scratch was was awesome, um, and and I can tell you a big reason for the success. And our program was successful quickly. But we weren't the only ones. We had across the board with our sports teams at, at Union High School, there was an immediate success. We had really good kids, um, but I can tell you our administration did it right. They valued athletics, um, and so I think that's important. So if there's any administrators listening to these new schools, like you gotta you gotta be all in the first couple years. There's no holding back. So that was important. But the beauty of starting a program from scratch was, you know, I was everything from a culture standpoint was me. Um, and that was awesome. Like we, I got to tinker and, you know, make mistakes and, you know, every philosophy, every idea was, was the first that that program had had. And so that was huge. And I do believe that helped really expedite the success that we had. Um, if you fast forward to when I took over at George Fox, you know, I, I took over a program that, that had an established culture that the previous coach before me had been there for, you know, 13 or 14 years. And so that was more of a challenge trying to, you know, really, recalibrate the culture of a program um and and that was not easy and so you know kind of looking back i do remember my early years in unit thinking man this is tough but now that i'm removed from it it was a whole heck of a lot easier to to be the first voice and the first 
implementation of any ideology in a program. And so, you know, but I can say in either, either case, uh, whether you're starting a program from scratch or you're taking over a program and you're having to, you know, reestablish a culture, uh, it's just being convicted and, and sure on what you're doing and, and just trusting it and running with it. There can be no wavering, you know, no waffling through different ideas. You gotta, you gotta be convicted with what you're doing and you gotta go and you gotta hold kids to a high standard. And if you do that, um, I do think things can get implemented really quickly and, and they can take off. I want to talk about too, uh, you've had a chance to travel the world, uh, through basketball, and I, I know this is doing some research. Uh, you currently serve on, serve on a board, uh, a nonprofit for courts for kids. Uh, can you kind of talk about what that is and, and how that has uh, allowed you to travel and how that's impacted you as a coach? Yeah, absolutely. I, w- I would love to. So, Courts for Kids is an organization that's been around since 2007, uh, 2008. So, you know, 13 year. Um, uh, nonprofit organization and it's a, it's a wonderful organization. So, um, the, the, the organization builds, uh, basketball courts in impoverished communities around the world. And so really the, the idea is to create a safe space and, you know, research has shown that kids just need safe places to play. It helps with their educational growth. It helps with keeping them safe. Uh, it helps keeping them out of trouble. And so, um, this organization is dedicated to really impacting the lives of young people around the world. And so I've been able to go on, um, I believe, five trips uh, and, you know, been able to be in these communities that lack a lot of resources that we are fortunate to have where we live in the States and um, get to build courts, um, put up hoops, run clinics, teach kids a little bit about the game, but really just get a court, whether it's at a school, in, in a in a community park where kids in those in those areas can utilize and play. And, and Overseas, it's not just basketball. I mean, they can use those services to, to do soccer or volleyball, whatever it may be. Um, the impact for me is really just being able to, you know, be humbled uh, in the sense that, you know, as we had talked about earlier in this conversation about how the pandemic slowed things down, you know, when, you, when we get a chance to go around the world, especially the communities that, that, that are lacking the resources that we typically see, life really slows down. And it's it's just always a, a humbling experience. It, it allows me to be appreciative of the things that I have, the resources I have. You know, Derek, I'm sure you've done this. I know I have, and probably every coach listening, at some point we've complained about something, you know, in our facilities. We don't have this, or I wish we had that, or you see someone else's facilities. And it's like when we when I go on these trips overseas, I'm just like, why do I ever complain about anything? Like, we're fortunate to be able to walk into a gym every single day and have the things that we have. And so that's been the biggest impact for me from a coaching perspective, and then just working with kids. I mean, Working with young people is a blessing, and I, again, I think sometimes we can take that for granted as coaches because we can get fixated on winning and performance and how things are looking, and a lot of times we forget we are getting to work with young people who are at a point in their lives where influence is so important, and when I'm overseas, the, the appreciation and the humility and the desire to learn and just everything you say, you know, they're just chomping at the bit, the, the young kids are and it just helps me to remember like how important it is when we're in positions of influence to to really honor that in a positive way uh if there are coaches listening that maybe want to be a part of courts for kids how would they go about doing that yeah absolutely you know courts for kids uh they're taking teams um all over the world uh right now because of the pandemic we've we've been in a hiatus with taking trips typically we take 
around 20 to 23 trips a year. Um, different groups will go, so we will sometimes take teams, like literal teams. Uh, sometimes we will take groups that are, you know, in communities. Um, we've taken university groups. But really, if, if any, you know, anyone out there wants to get involved, maybe they want to, you know, maybe a coach wants to take their team to do one of these projects, maybe within their school community there's something, um, they can reach out to me, and I can definitely direct them to, to the, the, the president and the leaders of the organization that set that up. Derek Neslin um, is the president and founder of Course for Kids, along with his wife, Celine Neslin. Um, and so if anyone wanted was interested, please email me, and I can get them in contact with Derek. Derek was a phenomenal player in the area, um, the Hall of Famer at Portland State, so his name might ring a bell to a lot of coaches out there listening. He does a tremendous job. Um, and communicating and uh, connecting with, you know, just different groups in, in the area. And they really expanded to – they have groups going kind of all over the country, so uh, to places all over the world. So they do a tremendous job, and, and, and the, the impact of the organization is tremendous. And, you know, their value system is awesome, and they do such an awesome job. So I would love to connect to anyone out there that might be interested. Awesome. Thanks. And uh, coach, Coach's email will be in the episode description for coaches that are that are looking for that. So we'll make sure we get that posted as well. Uh, coach, I'm going to switch gears on here a little bit. Um, if I were to come watch you guys practice, uh, what would that look like? What would I hear? What would I feel as I walked into the gym? Yeah, you'd, you'd see a lot of energy, um, very intense. You know, we're moving uh, from drill to drill. Um, you know, the way we play, uh, we play with such a fast pace that we really want to do as much as we can to mimic that in practice. Um, you would see us, um, you know, the intensity and the passion of our coaching staff would be there. You know, we're, we're a, a group that we, we just love to create energy. And so that would be very apparent. Um, and you see a very diverse practice in terms of what we do. Uh, I think every day is unique and different. Uh, we don't do a lot of, I mean, we have a lot of drills and similar drills, but we do a lot of stuff. You know, each day is different. So I love when our kids show up to the gym, you know, it's not going to be monotonous. And we're working on a lot of stuff. Um, and so, again, you know, in a two, two-and-a-half-hour window, um, you know, we're bouncing between skill work and, you know, team stuff and full-court pressing and, you know, end-of-clock situations and competitive physical drills. So there's a lot that goes on um, in our practice, but you definitely just feel an energy and a passion and an intensity. Do you use any sort of formatting when you go to set up your practice plan? You know, or do you, uh, like I talked to Coach Frazier last week from Summit, and he says, you know, they do like offense, defense, special teams. Uh, do you have that like pre-set out or do you just sit down that morning or the day the day before and kind of just write down whatever whatever comes to you. Yeah, so a little bit of both. I, I tell you, early in the year, we we I do have kind of a practice outline or format that that I use. And early in the year, it's probably more true than it is in the year. Um, and I say that because earlier in the year, we're really you know trying to get a lot of stuff in and taught, and so it's really important that we're touching every aspect of what we do. So. You know, it's skill work, uh, offensive breakdown stuff in the beginning, um, transitioning into some of our half-court, you know, offensive stuff, going into then individual defensive breakdown stuff, into half-court team defensive stuff. Then we go into a transition phase, both offensively and defensively. Um, then we go into our press phase. 
Sometimes we do breakdown stuff and our full court press stuff. Sometimes we get into just full, you know, five on five stuff. And then we will end practice with, you know, again, competitive five on five situational stuff. And then we'll do, you know, kind of in the clock special situation stuff to end. So a lot is packed in there. Um, especially early on in the year when we're, we're, we're going a little bit longer on the floor as we get more into the, to the middle part of, of the season. Um, then there's some more flexibility. So we, you know, sometimes we may bypass doing some things on there. Sometimes we might move some things around just depending on how the flow of that practice is going to be or how things were the day before. So I like to kind of, I like to have structure, um, you know, and some detail, but I also, I'm someone that's very fluid and I, and I, and I love that part of it too. Like things kind of organically happen. So, so a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect. <clears throat> Uh, Coach, how do you use or set up time to review film with your players? I feel like it's something that um, we all want to do as coaches, but maybe making sure that it's useful um, and actually having kids learn from it can sometimes be tricky, probably especially at the high school level. So I'm curious, like, how do you use film with your guys at George Fox, and, and maybe how would you adapt it or how did you use it uh, in your time as a high school coach? Yeah, well, I'm a big proponent of film. I think it's just the best way to teach. Um, you know, it's visual. Kids can see. You know, a lot of again, a lot of times, you know, young athletes don't have a good self, uh, you know, perspective of what they are or not doing, and sometimes they don't always clearly understand what we're communicating to them, or sometimes we don't always communicate effectively what we want. And so, I think film just helps, you know, uncover all of those issues that could be muddy. Um, and so I'm a big proponent of it. And I'm also a proponent of it because, you know, our getting back to our practice environment, you know, we're not a staff and I'm not one that likes to stop and talk a lot. I, I like things to keep moving. And, and there's times when, you know, maybe I bypass teachable moments and this can be a weakness of mine. And so it's really, really important that I can get that done in the film room. The challenge, um, and, and I know high school coaches face it as well. Uh, number one, just time. You know, we can sit and watch film for hours as from a coaching perspective to teach, but we just don't have that time. And then two, especially with this generation of young people, their attention spans are are limited. They they are not going to be able to sit and watch an hour film session and get everything out of it. Um, and so it is unique on how do you kind of find those windows and how do you make it efficient and effective. Um, you know, I think a lot of the tools that are out there now that high school coaches have access to, obviously that we have as college coaches, or lending for kids to be able to watch film on their own. And I think that's something that we have to utilize as coaches. Again, there's the challenge of accountability, especially for, you know, self-accountability for the kids. But having film at their disposal, trusting them to be able to watch the things that we, you know, would put together, asking them to watch, we have to utilize that. And I just think it's really important that we find those effective windows, you know, whether it's before practice, after practice, you know, maybe during the school day, you know, we have to do it at the college level. I know there's potential at high school on a prep period, a lunch period, having, you know, kids pop in for a few minutes. And then what we're showing them, it has to be, it has to be great. You know, we have to be really good at the things that we break down, what's important. And I wrestle with this a ton, Derek, like, well, I'll break down a film and there's a lot of things that I want to show. But I have to show what's most important, what's most needed right now, even though there are some little things that I would love to, you know, hey, you got to do this or we need to do this better. Sometimes it's bypassing that to get to the things that are really, really important. And so I think that's the challenge we're facing as coaches. How can we efficiently put together film 
that's not going to be long and when can we find those windows. But I, I think it's important that we all do it. And, and for high school coaches, you know, taking advantage of those systems that are in place where kids can watch stuff on their own. Obviously now we're, we have Zoom has been, you know, obviously really uh, taught to us. So that's another tool to maybe just hop on with the kid in the evening, you know, for 10 or 15 minutes. Just finding those creative windows to, to be able to get across what, what needs to be done because I do think it's a really, really important tool for, for kids. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about uh, analytics a little bit, which have had a huge impact on our game in the last five to ten years. Uh, you, know, you know, Steph Curry effects, uh, like NATO to Alabama, they're taking lands or, or threes, and that's, that's the only shots he wants. Uh, I'm curious, how do you use analytics uh, in your program? Yeah, we definitely um, use it quite a bit and, and are growing with it. Um, you know, I analysts are important, numbers are important. I think there's finding that balance of, you know, as as coach, I mean, trusting our eyes, our feel. Sometimes the numbers don't always equate to that. And so we're trying to find that balance. Um, but one of the things that I've learned and, and I've heard said a lot is, you know, chart what's important to you. The things that you emphasize to your team, make sure you chart those. And so I think within our within our, you know, analytics um growth, those are the things that have really come to the point of emphasis. For example, you know, we're really, you know, obviously we look at, you know, you can pull off the stat sheet. There's a ton of stuff that we can just pull from a box score, you know, field goal percentage, um, you know, for us and our opponents. We can look at turnovers, which is a big deal for us, offensive rebounds, which is a big deal, three-point shooting, which is a big deal, free throw attempts. Those are things that we stat. But we've gone a little bit deeper, so we look at assist numbers and we look at a percentage. You know, what's our assist percent number, and we have a goal that we want to get to that. We look at points per possession. So we have it tells a better story how efficient and effective our offense was. Um, we score a lot of points, but sometimes we can score a lot of points and not be, effect, you know, very efficient at it. Uh, we look at, like, our true and our effective field goal percentage, which gives us more of a true in-depth shooting versus just looking at a field goal percentage at the end of the box score. Um, we look at a rebounding percentage. So that's one of the things, again, we look at, like, oh, we only gave up you know, 11 offensive rebounds this game. Well, our opponent only, you know, missed, whatever, 30 shots. So now we, we, you know, our rebounding percentage was really, really high. So we want to minimize that. Like, so there are different things that we use um, that we feel are helpful to the goals that we're trying to, 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 to attain. You know, we chart deflections in games, um, points in the paint, uh, things that we feel like have a big effect on winning from our perspective. And we sh- share those with the kids. Um, after every game, you know, when we do our, our recap, you know, the day after our games, you know, you know, we take that time to really break that stuff down. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. So uh, after a game, you're kind of going to go through the team. Hey, we met, you know, three out of our seven goals or, or whatever uh, to, to kind of measure how successful you were. Do, do you have kind of a, a goal each game? Obviously, the goal would be to meet all of your all of the the things that you're statting, but do you have a sure. certain number that you feel like you're going to win more games if you hit a certain amount of marks? So I think we have what we call like our big five. So that we feel like if we win three or four out of the five, we'll have a great chance to win the game. So that's points in the paint. That's uh, the turnover battle. That's the rebounding battle, three-point battle, and then free throw. So we want to win three to four of those. Now, it's not like tried and true. There's been times where we've won like three or four and we've lost the game, but we feel like we'll have a chance to win. 
So we go over that with the guys. That's kind of our goals. But then we do, like, we do a full-on, when we go right before our film session, we go through all of the things that we find are very important. So, number one, we do have a, we do an efficiency chart with each of our guys. And so we have things on our efficiency chart that helps us to be able to individually see how effective a player was in their time. Um, and there's a ton of things that we do, and it's both offense and defense. It's a kind of a plus-minus chart, and there are a ton of things on there that we that we chart and evaluate. I can, if any coaches out there would like like to see that, I have no problem sending that uh, sample chart. It'd be a lot for me to go over right now in this conversation. For sure. Um, another thing we do is we have an we have you know kind of like our analytics, or we call it our our efficiency chart. And it goes through a bunch of stuff again, um, some analytical stuff. And again, I can share that with, with coaches, but, um, it looks at like we chart deflections. Um, we chart defensively, like we chart, you know, number three point shots that we've given up. Um, cause we have goals set around that, like, you know, most everyone does. Um, offensively, we're looking at points per possession. You know, like I mentioned before, points in the paint. Um, we're looking at assist percentage. Um, I'm pulling it up right here. So like I said, we go over like, so let me offensively just give you a few other things we do. So we look at transition opportunities. We look at our transition percent, conversion percent. So we have a certain goal that we want to get there. Um, we chart passes per possession, total passes in a game. Um, we look at uh, missed screens. So those are just a few examples of plenty more. Defensively, I mentioned some already, deflections. We do charges. Fouls. So we want to have a certain number of fouls that we're committing. Um, we look at our, obviously our opponent shooting three from three from the field, their points per possession, their offensive rebounding percent, and so on. So again, that's another chart that has more to it that as well with coaches. And again, every coach has to do what they value, you know, so I don't think like what we have on there, not everything applies to every system. It's just the things that we feel are important for us. You know, you could probably subtract some or add other things that we're missing. I think it all is just relevant to what what each coach is is doing and what's important to them. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to take another break. When we return, Coach Hamilton will try to beat the shot clock here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Is there a coach you'd like to hear from or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss? You can write us a message on the Anchor website or send us an email at OregonBasketballCoaches at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches podcast. We're talking with Coach Mako Hamilton. Uh, Coach, for my next set of questions, I'm going to put you up against the shot clock. So I'm going to put a timer uh, for 35 seconds, uh, and I'm going to ask you some rapid-fire questions that should have one- to two-word answers. Okay. Uh, We're going to see how many answers and questions we can get through in that 35 seconds. Okay. That's great. I'm ready. All right. Timer set starting now. Do you think Oregon high school basketball should have a shot clock? Absolutely. If you're up three points with less than 10 seconds, do you foul? Under six. How big of a lead do you need before you pull off a press? Uh, a thousand points. <laughs> it's not coming <laughs> What's off. <your> <laughs> okay. What's your favorite way to guard on-ball screens? 
Uh, we do multiple ways. Uh, what's your favorite sports movie? Ooh. Ooh, there, that's not me. Um, oh, it's not me. That's a good one. Uh, I don't know. I'm stumped. I don't know. No, nope, that's all right. All right, and then one of my favorites is, what's one word officials would use to describe you? Uh, I would say calm. Calm. Yeah. Perfect. That's time, Coach. That was pretty good. The sports movie got us, but that's okay. That's okay. I think yeah, it got me. I kind of <laughs> lulled you to sleep there. You weren't ready. I had all these I wasn't ready. No, that was then, a good one. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so, Coach, obviously, you know, shot clock is a, a big thing, uh, kind of a hot topic issue nationwide at the high school level. Uh, we got some good news recently. NFHS is allowing states to uh, implement it if they so choose, which is a big movement from them. Um, and an Oregon hasn't quite yet made a decision. But uh, you had mentioned you're in favor of, of shot clock at, at the high school level. Can you kind of elaborate on why that is? I'm just a big proponent of the game playing with pace. It doesn't mean you have to be a high-scoring, you know, transition up and down team. But I just think the game needs to have pace um, in the half court. And at every level, there's a shot clock. And if we're trying to prepare kids to advance to the next level, they need to be able to play that way. Um, and then the last thing I'd say, it just takes some of the control away from coaches. And I think we got to get to a point where we're trusting kids. We're trusting the way that we prepare them. And they need to be able to go out and execute and, and – play basketball with a little bit more of a free-flowing pace than it being very controlled and centered on, you know, getting shots in specific spots and, you know, executing offensive movement, not really execution, but just movement for long periods of time. Yeah. What, uh, what's the strangest thing you've seen in the, in a basketball gym? Yeah, boy, you brought that up, or I saw that question ahead of time, and uh, I mean, I'm, I, that's another one you stumped me on. I'm, I really, I really don't know the strangest thing that I've seen in the gym. Um, gosh, I mean, I probably honestly, I mean, this is probably not abnormal, but just crazy parents. Uh, sorry <laughs> if there's any out there listening, but I, I mean, I, I've been in some environments where I've seen some parents do some outlandish stuff. Um, and there's one in particular, I was watching a club game and <laughs> this parent was on the other sideline coaching the team going up and down, uh, like the sideline, like as the team's coach is coaching. It, that was probably the most bizarre thing oh, that I've seen that, that comes to the top of my head. Like that was outlandish, but now yeah, there's obviously great players out there. So I don't want to throw shade at parents, but yeah, I've seen some, right. some people act a fool in the gym. That's probably the craziest thing. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> um, you talked about you know doing a lot of spend a lot of time on special situations uh, in the game scenarios. I'm curious if there's there's one in particular that you spend a lot of time on, or maybe one that you see quite often that you like to focus on with your team. Yeah, not one in particular. We we try to do a different scenario every day because there's just so many out there. You know, so many situations, clock, score. Um, and it's crazy because we'll, you know, we'll cover a bunch and then, you know, maybe game 12 comes around and we're in a situation and I'm like, man, we haven't practiced this yet, you know. And so mm -hmm. we try to get do as many as possible. I think for me, maybe the one that's the most fun and for myself and then our guys is when we're in, you know, kind of last second, last shot situations and, and I'll draw something up on the board, you know, just something that we don't have. 
I think that's always fun because the kids love to execute it, and then it's fun for me to see, like, okay, was I was I onto something here, or was that you know bad? And so sometimes it goes both ways. Like, <laughs> plays, like, hey, that's not going to work, and and that's fun. But no, we we try to we try to just create unique and different scenarios, um, you know, every day in practice. We really do. Yeah. <clears throat> How do you go? I'm kind of maybe on both levels here. Uh, nice about team captains. How do you go about selecting team captains, both at George Fox and then maybe also talk about how did you do that uh, when you were at Union? So I I don't have captains. Um, I philosophically, um, our leadership model, we really believe in collective ownership. We've had, we've tried different models of that. Um, the one we're currently in, um, you know, is maybe something we started in the last couple of years, but we really believe in empowering all of our guys to lead. Um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, leadership is how you impact people around you and anyone can lead. And I think it's just about unlocking um, the, the leadership gifts that each person has. I do believe, and I, and I think this is pretty obvious, that kids naturally will create captains within the team, even if we don't emphasize it, and it's usually either your seniors or your couple of best players. Um, and so we try to just do as much as we can to, like, you know, not promote that or foster that. I, I want all of our guys to be able to impact our program. Um, I think when we rely on captains, you know, you're you're banking on, you know, a couple of athletes that have to be really, really good. And in those years where they're not or they're not great at their leadership qualities yet, it can have a, a detrimental effect. So we really believe in empowering everyone. And so ours is unique in that sense. Yeah. So I've never done captains in all my years of coaching. Wow. So how do you go about empowering that leadership in all of your players? Yeah, so I mean, I can tell you a few things we do now, um, Derek. So first of all, we – I think by us not promoting captains, it kind of creates this environment where everyone can talk. We, we try to do um, – before I get into some of the examples, I mean, we try to, like, find those gifts that are – you know, or those traits from a leadership perspective that we feel like are, you know, our strengths of our guys, and we try to put them in that situation. So, for example, you know, I might have a couple of guys who are really, really just great socially. They can communicate and easily, you know, make people feel at ease. So I would have those guys be kind of our, you know, spearheading all of our recruit visits and tours and things like that. Like I want those guys being the ones that are around versus, you know, maybe my best player, but my best player is socially maybe a little bit quiet or reserved or, you know, different. I want to create an environment when kids are coming to campus, they're feeling welcome. We might have some guys who are, um, you know, really intense and, and outgoing. So we're going to have them, you know, maybe spearhead some things in the weight room. Um, so we try to put guys in positions like we do on the court where they can be successful, where their influence can be really had, um, you know, on on their teammates. We do a lot of stuff. So we do um, what we call leadership council, when we bring everyone together. We do this during the season weekly. Um, we do this out of season. We've been doing it a little bit on Zooms. And so what we do is we give our guys topics, and we put them in small groups, and they talk through it. And, and we give them some things to discuss. They can be related to basketball. They can be related to life. But we also to share some things that maybe that they're struggling with or wrestling with. Uh, I can give an example from our this last COVID year when we started playing uh, towards the end in one of our leadership councils. We had a freshman that was feeling discouraged, feeling like um, he was getting challenged maybe unfairly by coaches or that the expectations for him were pretty high. 
and he had voiced that to me and someone in our leadership in, in our small groups we do these unanimous surveys as well where we allow our guys to to share things but you know but they don't feel like you know they maybe don't want coaches to know so this gives them this unanimous thing to high mind so they can really share so in one of the surveys it said hey you know we feel like coaches are being really hard on you know this particular player so that was brought up in their small groups and then it was brought up in the leadership council so our guys we're able to talk through that issue with that athlete and as a team, and it ended right there, as opposed to it being something that festered and now we're having to deal with it or we're asking, you know, a couple of captains to go deal with it. So we, we do these surveys, we do these small groups, we do these leadership councils, and through that process, everyone has a voice. Everyone gets to share. They're communicating with each other, and that's been something that's been really, really beneficial for us in the last couple of years because it's given our guys a voice and has given a voice to the best player and to the least player. And I think they all respect and understand that they're all a part of this this process. Yeah, I like that. Uh, do you have a favorite team bonding activity that you do with your guys? You know, I will tell you we don't. And what it is is it's just being intentional every day. You know, I get asked a lot because we – I think the strength of our program is how connected we are. And I get asked a lot, especially by – you know, families of potential recruits. What do you guys do for team bonding? How do you bond? And I really tell them, you know, we don't have any specific things that we do. Like, we don't go on a retreat every year and and go through this, like, laid-out plan. We just spend a ton of time together. So that would be the the thing. It's just intentional daily interaction is our team bonding. Sure, we do stuff as a team. We'll play football games. We'll, we've gone to the beach together. Uh, we have, you know, meals. We share, share meals together. We'll go play other games. But we just spend time together, whether it's um, coaches, you know, individually with guys on a daily basis, whether it's small group stuff, whether it's big group, team group stuff. But I think in, what, in being intentional, what I've noticed, it just creates a domino. So as coaches, when they see us being intentional, then it fosters and facilitates this desire for them to connect with their teammates. And now it is not uncommon to see our guys together on campus, two of them walking to class together three of them sitting in the commons eating dinner, a few of them studying. And it's not just roommates or, you know, uh, teammates that are in the same academic field. And so that's been the best team bonding for us is just being intentional about it every single day. We know from October to March we're going to be in the presence of each other every single day because of the structure of basketball. But what are we doing from, you know, March to, to October, like in those months? How are we – facilitating and maintaining a relationship, and it's just being intentional every day. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite drill? I don't have a favorite drill, to be honest. Um, I, there's several I like, but if I were to tell you one that we do probably the most often, and so if you were to ask my team or any of our guys what my favorite drill is, they would tell you this just based on the frequency of it. It's just a one-on-one turn drill. You know, we're a press system, um, and so – one of the biggest things uh, for kids transitioning to playing in a full-court system, if they have it, is that, that fear of playing in space, defending the ball, you know, 90-plus feet away. And so we do a one-on-one turn drill every single day, and we do it, one, to help ease, you know, the tension or the fear of that. But, two, there's a lot of technique to it because defending the basketball full court is paramount for us. If we can't defend the ball, then we're putting ourselves in a lot of disadvantaged situations which is leading to a lot of good shots for our opponents. So so we do that every single day, and it's intense. It's not like a zigzag drill like, 
a lot of us mm-hmm. have either done as players when we were younger or, or maybe do now. It's a full-on, we go live, and we're really working through the techniques of defending the ball. And it's cool, too, because everyone's watching. There's two guys on the floor. All your teammates are watching. And when you're the defender, you know, you don't want to just get beat. It's embarrassing. So it puts a little bit of mental right. toughness on the line as well. For sure. All right, Coach, I think that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Derek, I appreciate you having me on. It was, it was really cool to be able to share, and, and uh, thank you again for the opportunity. If you have any follow-up questions or want to get a hold of Coach Hamilton, you can find his contact information in the episode description. We hope you'll join us next time here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Until then, coach him up. Coaches, save the date. The 2021 OACA OBCA Nike Basketball Coach of the Year Clinic will be held Friday, October 8th at Liberty High School. Also, plan to join us for the second annual OBCA Golf Tournament Saturday, October 9th at the OGA Golf Course in Woodburn. You can find more information at or.nhsbca.org.